Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Washington, D.C. is Michelle Crimes. Michelle is a program officer at the Center for International Private Enterprise, better known as SIPE, and we're going to be talking today about human rights and the nexus with compliance. Michelle, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Great. Thank you for having me today. Oh, our pleasure. Now, when talking about compliance and human rights, it's important to note that this isn't some just aspirational thing where people are trying to somehow change what compliance is to help human rights causes. There's already tremendous history, including even wage and hour laws in the area of compliance and human rights. Uh, can you give us some historical perspective on this? Yeah, so I really thought about this question, and I think one of the great ways to think about this is if you look at the context of wage and hour laws, it is nothing new. We all know that it's an area where we need to comply. Um, where this can sort of get complex is when you start having uh, suppliers down your supply chain when you're dealing with a complex multinational corporation. So when you just think about sort of how things have expanded over time uh, through wage and employment and even some might argue um, labor law, I think the context becomes a lot clearer. So when you look over into the human rights and compliance nexus, what you'll start to notice is that there's also a framework for human rights in general and then the way that we can think about um, dealing with compliance in this area. So you look at the idea that we've got first generation human rights law, which is sort of what we all think about when we think about things like League of Nations, right? We all have the right to be free. And then second generation human rights and then third generation human rights, which is where we are now, which is much more expansive and includes a host of things, um, which includes, you know, the right to be free, uh, rights for women and children. It expands into lots of um, issues in area. And so I think when you sort of take those two and combine them together, you can see that human rights uh, and enforcement of human rights isn't anything new. Uh, it's not particularly um, specific to one area of the world. And I think that this becomes sort of the nexus. We've got something that's not new that hasn't really uh, been enforced in terms of compliance. And I think of these things in terms of supply chain, but now we're starting to integrate that more. And that's one of the things that we do here at SIPE, which is not just looking at some of the, um, what we might think of as standard areas of compliance, we've started adding things like environmental law, labor law, and slowly but surely we're expanding into this context of human rights. Well, and I think there's wisdom in that and that a lot of these issues like CSR issues tend to become compliance issues over time as the world decides, look, we, we need strong rules about this. And one area in particular comes to mind, which is the ban on conflict minerals which really goes back to a human rights issue. What is the current state of conflict minerals regulations and enforcement? Great, that's a really great area because it really does connect with so much of what happens in human rights sort of enforcement. So I think the biggest uh, enforcement mechanism that comes to mind for me uh, are US laws, right? The US has a lot of regulation around conflict minerals. Uh, and I think that particular law has been in enforcement for about seven, six or seven years. I think the newest thing on the horizon are the UK laws. Um, those laws are coming online very, very soon. They're going to be adding sort of new layers of compliance regarding conflict uh, minerals. And so if you're working in an area where you're already doing lots of compliance around conflict minerals, uh, maybe you're using components uh, of minerals that might come from a conflicted area in, in a product. The UK laws are, I don't, I've been reading through them and trying to understand them myself. I don't think they're adding necessarily 
a new layer, they're perhaps extending some of the areas of compliance that we maybe hadn't thought about before. The US tends to be very sort of, I think, straightforward, whereas in the UK, it's going to be a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more in-depth, and that could, I think, be the newest area of sort of where compliance is going. Well, I think it's also significant that when you have multiple jurisdictions uh, trying to enforce law in an area, it has a huge impact. If you look at anti-corruption, I, I think there was a big difference in what happened in the world from when we went beyond the USFCPA to the UK Bribery Acts, up onto in France, and a whole bunch of others. That suddenly, the enforcement climate changes, and with it, the need for compliance programs. One of the areas that started getting more attention is human trafficking and modern slavery. It's a tough issue because obviously no one is for human trafficking, but many believe it's an issue that wouldn't affect their organization. Yet we've seen some high-profile cases. First, can you give a recap of what the current legal frameworks are and, and what they look like? So this is a great question as because it ties into a lot of the work that I've been doing at Skype, which was related to compliance. Uh, in the areas of extractive and also in the textile industry. So when I think about sort of what the framework looks like, I have to first understand that modern slavery um, and human trafficking, they include more than one type of behavior, right? It's not just uh, forced labor and it's not just um, the issue of uh, modern slavery. We're talking about individuals who are, perhaps there's wage theft, right? That's one area. We're talking about differences in the way that migrant labor may be treated um, when it comes to different industries. So when you start to think about that, what falls under modern slavery really expands a little bit. And you have to have a good understanding of uh, laws in a couple of different areas. You have to understand, you know, um, maybe some things that are falling under migration law. You might have to understand a few things that are falling under, um, if you have, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? If you have, um, visas, things like different things like that. It's a very, I think, expansive area, and it isn't just one particular law. Having said that, uh, there are a couple of countries who have uh, developed their own modern slavery or anti-slavery acts. So the first one would be the UK. There's one in New Zealand. And then uh, I think probably the one that most people in the United States are uh, familiar with, it would be the US California Supply Chain Act. And so when you start to look at it, you've got a, re you've got a framework that is trying to bring in a lot of different things. Um, and it's one of those things that can be a little bit, I think, confusing. But I think the main sources are UK, uh, New Zealand, Australia, I believe I left off the off the, um, the list, which their act just came into um, enforcement, I think, uh, maybe earlier this year. And then when you add that with the US. So there are a lot of different laws that com companies are going to want to be considering. Um, but I think those are the four main ones. Now, what should organizations be doing to ensure that they aren't involved even inadvertently or tangentially even in human trafficking and modern slavery? This is the, the greatest question of all. Uh, whenever I'm talking with other folks who either we're talking about different areas of um, integrated compliance or whenever we're talking about human trafficking, modern slavery, that's the question. Well, how do I make sure I'm not doing this? And I think the big answer is you have to approach this in a much more collaborative way. There are lots of organizations out there that actually specialize in this type of compliance. Um, they will be excellent guides in leading you sort of through this and what it looks like. And those organizations don't have to be human rights organizations. They don't have to be NGOs. They can be organizations like SIBE. They can be individual consultants. There are 
um, people who actually do understand this. Now, what that aside, I think it's also important to be collaborative with leaders and known experts within your area. So for example, I am attempting <laughs> to work in Ethiopia and sort of talk about some of these issues around wage theft and around, I think in Ethiopia, it's a very specific issue around um, the minimum wage, which is also something that people could argue falls under modern slavery or even in human trafficking uh, concern areas. Um, so I don't just sort of show up in an area and say, this is what we think you should do. I <clears throat> attempt to find an expert, I attempt to find the individuals who do care about this issue and start to work with them in a way that's collaborative, which is sometimes uncomfortable because you're letting someone else into your process, but it's very necessary because these are the folks who are gonna know the pitfalls and they're going to be able to act as your guide and help you to you know, prevent sort of stepping on um, any, oh, I'm sorry, stepping on a landmine which is, which is what came to mind, uh, or anything like that, which will help you ensure that you're complying in a way that is um, appropriate. Yeah, and it's often very important, if not always very important, to make sure you have a good appreciation of what the local sensibilities are and mm -hmm. what the sensitive points are. So finally, are there any human rights issues that are likely to end up as compliance issues over the next few years? I think so. So I think we're going to see a couple of things. And I've given this a lot of thought because in part, <laughs> this is what I do. Um, I think that we're probably going to see two, a couple of things. So one, I think we're going to see sort of a deepening into certain areas that we're already sort of working in. So I think uh, compliance around, you know, women and children will probably go a little bit deeper, right? Not just ensuring that uh, women have equal pay. I think it's going to go a little bit deeper in showing that women are working in harassment-free workplaces, right? And that children are working in, uh, in environments, if they're working at all, uh, or under the correct laws, like it's going to be more than just checking a little tick off the box. We've got a sign on the wall that says X, Y, and Z. It's going to be a little bit more deeper than that. I also think that in terms of, I thought about this in terms of extractives, you know, we're talking about minerals, um, and I thought about other areas of compliance where I work, which include textiles and something that's similar to that could be, um, you know, extractives that go into goods, right? Or the way that certain textiles are produced. I think we're going to start seeing movement down the supply chain. Um, and so, and I think that's been happening for a while. And then I think the third sort of area of movement is going to be sort of the realm where I'm kind of living and trying to understand compliance, which is this link between compliance and corruption and how, uh, you know, you can marry sort of your FCPA, UK, the bribery sort of things that we think about as corruption, moving them down the supply chain and understanding how corruption, right, in different levels of our supply chain could end up, you know, or lack of um, compliance around certain corruption issues could end up being something like an anti-slavery um, violation. It could end up being a human rights violation. You, I mean, I think environment, I was about to say that I think, you know, you could have all sorts of environmental impact, but I think that um, is the best example I could give. Well, I think, you know, along those lines, while there's obviously overlap between issues, one of the nice things about a compliance program is it gives you a structure for identifying and dealing with them. and it's a tool that can be applied to a wide range of risk areas, including human rights and issues that have yet been considered. Well, Michelle, thanks for taking the time to share these insights with us. I wanna thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA.
I hope we were able to expand your compliance perspective.